Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazar. And welcome back to, uh, well, it's a pleasure recording in person again, Connor. Absolutely. I'm very happy that we can do that again. It's been a while. It's been a while. I think it's a, uh, do we record in person after the Big 12 championship? I don't think we did. I, I don't recall. I don't think we did. I don't think that we did. I think we did that the next day. So it's probably been since the summer. Probably so. But, yeah, it's been a long time, but that's not really here what we're here to talk about. We are here to talk about the arguably the most important matchup that K-State has had in quite some time, and that is going up against the Alabama Crimson Tide in the Sugar Bowl down in New Orleans. It's a New Year's Six Bowl up against one of the perennial powerhouses of college football of the last couple of decades. And... It we're not going to mince words about it. It's it's going to be a very difficult game. It's going to be an interesting game, but it's nevertheless going to be a very difficult one. But before we go into specifically why, we have to go over specifically what Alabama did this year. So, Connor, you have the 2022 schedule for this year. Yep, so up until this point, they are 10-2 and overall. Uh, they started their season with a 55-0 win over Utah State. They beat Texas by one uh, quite a while ago at this point. Uh, beat Louisiana Monroe by a lot. Beat Vandy 55-3. Beat Arkansas 49-26. Uh, just got by Texas A&M with their backup quarterback 24-20. They lost to Tennessee in a classic game 52-49. to Beat an half-time ranked Mississippi State squad 30-6. Lost LSU in overtime 32-31. They beat, at the time, eighth-ranked Ole Miss 30-24, although that team did not finish very strong. Blew out FCS Austin Pay, and then they won the Iron Bowl against Auburn 49-27. So puts them at 10 wins and two losses, which is a bit of a down year for a Bama squad, even though they're ranked fifth. Uh, up here for pretty much any other team on earth. Yeah, yeah it and the fact that their only two losses were to, at the time, a top 10, or I believe even the top five ranked Tennessee team, and the top 10 ranked old, uh, I mean, LSU squad, it's it's really telling that their two losses aren't unexplainable. However, it's the fact that they've been winning close against a few teams. Like, they should have blown out Texas. They really should have, especially when they had their backup quarterback, even though Hudson Card's not bad or anything. Should have beat Texas A&M by more, especially because A&M was awful this year. Yeah. And should have beat Ole Miss by more. And it's just a lot of small things that we'll talk about later. But you can cover the the record as well, and I'll take the the offensive stats as they come. Yep. And then, of course, they end up finishing 10, and or they are 10-2 at this point, and miss the SEC championship game. Uh, with that loss to LSU, so they go six and two in conference, and then LSU gets the pleasure of getting blown out by Georgia, uh, which was going to happen one way or another. But yeah, that that brings the uh, record portions in end. So AC, you've got the uh, stats as they come. Yeah, stats as they come, as we as we lovingly put it. In terms of rushing yards, they had twenty three hundred and sixty nine nice on the year at a five point six per attempt. 3,339 passing yards, 8.03 per attempt, 
32 passing touchdowns to eight picks, 25 rushing touchdowns, an offensive third down percentage of 46.05%. And you can you can take the rest because right there, the the offensive third down percentage is, is very high. And you know they're not a lot of it is because they don't get into they're they're a very traditional team in that third down area where they're not it's not like they're doing the Patrick Mahomes thing where they have to convert, you know, third and thirteens with a degree of consistency. My voice cracked like five times in that sentence. <laughs> but you know, they're doing very well on third down, but you can cover the, the rest of the stats as we have them listed there. Yeah. They're also doing really well defensively on third downs, uh, giving up a first down just 29.44% of the time. That's fantastic. Uh, their points per game uh, is 40.75. That's a total of 489 points for them. And then points against just 216, so significantly less. Uh, their turnover differential is minus four. Uh, their sacks on the year, they have gotten 36 of them, uh, over uh, 10 for Will Anderson on his own. And then the red zone scoring percentage, uh, 88.3% scoring and 66.6% touchdown rate. And then a 76.9% scoring rate uh, and a 48.7% on the other side of the ball. So that wraps up their statistics. Um, But yeah, Explosive offense, a lot of points, uh, and then defense pretty suffocating. Um, that does benefit, I guess, somewhat from um, a handful of shutouts, uh, Utah State and Austin P, and then also Vanderbilt existing ULM only getting a touchdown. But when they played teams with a pulse still, they were still good defensively, if not as completely suffocating as you may expect. Um, but they're – they definitely weren't as ironclad, maybe as that number suggests, and that's not taking anything away from them. But that two sixteen is definitely helped out by uh, a few D- DOA opponents. I think yeah. is the best way to put it. Yeah, that's probably the best way to put it. And another thing I want to point out is the turnover differential being minus four, because they've only thrown eight picks, so they're not getting takeaways at a particularly high rate. Which you know it's. I believe their their interception leader. We can pull it up here. Their interception leader has something what like maybe two or three, maybe even one. They only have five picks total on the year. Yeah, yeah they only have five picks on the year, and it's um, five different people to have one. So, not really a whole lot going on there. Uh, Will Anderson had a pick six at some point, um, which is not fun to think about but that's terrifying yeah Uh, but they did have seven fumble recoveries uh seems kind of unusual to have more fumble recoveries than interceptions it feels like it is very weird but yeah that's uh um it's definitely notable um to see an alabama defense not turn over their opponents as much as you would expect um and offensively um still not really being reckless with the ball i mean um, Bryce Young on his own only has five picks. Three of those interceptions uh, were Jalen Milrow, the backup quarterback. Uh, so Bryce Young is still his, his interception touch on interception ratio is still over five to one. So that's not a huge concern on his end. But this case, a defense also has been pretty good um, in the secondary as well. So it's something to at the very least consider. And it's definitely a number that jumps off the page for an Alabama team that otherwise is really strong in all other areas. Yeah. 
So now we can talk about who's not going to be playing in this game. And originally when we wrote this section, we kind of expected a few opt-outs. No one will be opting out, although there will be a few people transferring out. I'll take, I'll basically take the, the top four, which is the skill positions. Their wide receiver, Treshawn Holden's ending up transferring out. Christian Leary's transferring out. He only had one catch. JoJo Earl, who was a pretty consistent, you know, other, I believe probably third or fourth option in that receiving room. He's transferring out. Then Trey Sanders, who I believe he at one point transferred in from another place. He ends up transferring out as well. But again, he didn't contribute too much. None of those guys were insane contributors when it comes to, like, you know, Holden had 25 catches. They're losing a total of probably about 30-ish catches somewhere in there. And, you know, maybe about 200, well, there's what, 300 snaps from Holden. And then the other guy, Christian Leary, 45. So roughly 300, probably 400 snaps when you take into consideration the other one, the other wide receiver transfer. So they're not. it's not insignificant that they're transferring out, but it's not like they're losing their number one guy. And then Trey Sanders is, you know, kind of a, another sort of take it or leave it as they come sort of player to transfer out. But arguably you could say that the big transfers out had absolutely nothing to do with their skill positions and rather have to do with the, the amount they're losing at the trenches. Yeah, they are losing a lot on the offensive line. Uh, starting guard Javion Cohen is transferring out, and that's a big loss. That's 549 snaps at the uh, guard position for him. Uh, and then that, that's an 80.5 pass blocker grade that you're losing on PFF. Uh, and he, he's just gone, so you're going to have to fill that position in. And they lose three other offensive linemen as well. Uh, they lose Amari Knight, Tommy Brockermeyer, who has landed at TCU, and then Damian, uh, Damian George. Uh, then they also lose defensive lineman Braylon Ingram and defensive back Kyrie Jackson. So they do lose more than you would expect at this point in the season to the transfer portal, uh, losing uh, 10 guys uh, before their bowl game even. It's pretty surprising. Although, on the other hand, I'd say it's just as surprising that neither of Bryce Young or Will Anderson opted out. I I didn't think both of them would, but I was pretty set on at least one of them. And I, I figured it, I didn't know who it would be, but I'm pretty surprised that we're going to be seeing both Bryce Young and Will Anderson. I'm happy that they're playing. I think it's probably better for college football if they do, and I do think it's better for our game against them because that means that we're playing a full strength Alabama team. And one way or another, we're going to learn a lot about K-State from this game. And it's really going to tell us how far we have to go, maybe depending on, you know, Bama's motivation levels and whatnot, but that's difficult to quantify. Yeah. So that, that's all the transfers out. So now we can start kind of going through position by position, which, you know, we normally, we normally have, quite a bit to say. However, a lot of what we could have to say this time around is basically us just saying, yeah, they're Bama. Yeah, they're going to be good there. So sort of foregoing the specific players on like the offensive and defensive lines, other than, you know, Will Anderson and people like that. Like, thankfully my leg is free now, but (laughs) sorry, Maple was sitting on my lap, but and now she she's now eating. 
That's all she really does. She yeah, just sits she... on laps and gets up, eats, and then sleeps. That sounds like a cat. She's she is the cattest cat of all time, but I love her. But we can start off with the quarterback, Bryce Young. And if you want the the absolute short version of this, yeah, Bryce Young is expected to be the number one overall pick for a reason. And it was a debate between him and CJ Stroud the entire year for a reason. He is undoubtedly one of, if not the best quarterbacks in the country. I think the only one really giving him a run for his money would probably be Drake May and Caleb Williams. But even then, I think Drake May falls a little short. CJ Stroud's probably about equal. Caleb Williams is probably the only one who clears. But, yeah, everything you want in a quarterback you can have in Bryce Young. The only thing you could say is that he's a little bit light. You know, he looks a little bit gangly and scraggly a little bit. But, it really, if that's the only thing you can complain about is that your quarterback is less than 200 pounds, you're not you're not doing awful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bryce Young is, like, I think you put it well, you said, he's pretty much everything that you want out of a quarterback. And they're, it's, he, he's going to get his one way or another. Um, there's not a whole lot to do about that, unfortunately. Um, he... Yeah, he, he can extend plays really well. Uh, he he can go deep. He uh, plays short. He runs their offense so efficiently. There's just not a lot that can really be done. The only way that he really can be slowed down is, like most quarterbacks, is putting him under pressure. And that's about it. And even then, he's not bad under pressure. He's just not as good. And that's pretty much standard for most quarterbacks. So that's not really anything out of the blue. And yeah, he's a little light. He's a little under 200 pounds. He's six foot 194. So he's a little undersized, um, but it hardly matters because he's at the end of the day, he's Bryce young and he, he only has nine turnover worthy passes on the season compared to 20 big time throws. And a, that big time throw number could be a lot higher if his receiver core maybe complimented him a little bit better. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, but it's uh, he's just a really, really good quarterback, and he's not a huge running threat, but he can do it. He's not a true dual threat uh, like Jalen Milrow is, but he's got just under 200 yards, four touchdowns, averaging 4.2 on the season. He's only been sacked 16 times, so he's not taking a ton of hits. Uh, relatively speaking, but he's he's just a really fantastic quarterback. Yeah, he's a fantastic quarterback who has the ability to extend play. And the reason why he doesn't run much is because he uses his mobility to look for passing lanes as opposed to you know to run off. And you know, it really is going to be the biggest test that K State has seen all year. And again, we didn't do awful against Caleb Williams last year at Oklahoma. Granted, that was a freshman for Caleb Williams. But, you know, neither here nor there. Next up is the running back room, which their running back one is Jameer Gibbs, but they do have someone with an equal amount of carries. So it is kind of the, the running back by committee. It's Jameer Gibbs and then Jace McClellan. Jameer Gibbs is probably the better of the two. He's certainly the, the better receiving option of the two. Regardless of how, like, if the grades seem to be 
balancing out that way. But, yeah, Jameer Gibbs, I believe, was a transfer from Georgia Tech, and it is ridiculously hard to transfer into an Alabama running back room and be named the starter, and he just did it. That's very difficult to do. Good for him. Yeah, that, that, that is not an easy feat. No. Gibbs is just like Bryce Young. He's an Alabama running back. The only difference that you could say is that he's a better receiver than most of the traditional Alabama running backs that you think of. But he still has all the other traits. But the best trait he has is probably his vision, which is why they trust him a lot in their inside zone running game, outside zone running game. Because he's not going to miss a wide open hole. That's just not what he's going to do. And he's going to be consistently strong in finishing his runs. He's going to be able to make you miss. He's going to catch a ball at the backfield. He is one of the most complete backs in the entirety of the SEC. Yeah, watching his film for a while, it's clear that a lot of the offense uh, revolves around Jameer Gibbs and getting him in open space. Because there's not many guys that have the combination of strength and agility that he has and it's clear why Bama brought him in because they will run inside zone with him and trust him to find a hole. And then they're also going to throw him some swing screens and try to get him the ball in space in the passing game as well and find different creative ways uh, to get him in space because he's strong enough to fight through a tackle and he's agile enough to get around a tackle. So if you find him in space, the really the best choice, unless you're truly a fantastic tackler or someone that matches him in size is to just kind of hold on and hope for someone else to get there. But because he's got 850 rushing yards, averaging 6.3 a carry, seven touchdowns. And then he also adds almost 400 yards through the air and another three touchdowns. So he's doing a lot in multiple facets of the game. And that's just him. And like you said, they have uh, Jace McClellan as well. And he's also really good. He's not as dynamic as Jameer Gibbs by any stretch of the imagination, but he's still a really good back that you have to account for. He's averaging almost six yards a carry. So you still have to be able to account for him. And he's still receiving threat as well, at least to some degree. He's got 164 yards and three touchdowns through the air on the end of 600 yards and six touchdowns on the ground. So this is a really good Alabama running back room. There's not a whole lot else to say about it other than this isn't like most years, this Alabama running back room is good and has to be accounted for, and I don't think that's really a surprise to anybody. No. I. It's weird to say that an Alabama player is underrated, but Jameer Gibbs might actually be one of the more underrated players in the country just because you don't hear anyone talk about him. Yeah. Probably because he didn't rush for over 1,000 yards. Yeah, his, his numbers are low compared to his talent, uh, but some of that is due, I think, to Bryce Young missing time and him really being the engine for the Alabama offense and defense is really being able to fixate for once, which it's not often you can do that with this Alabama offense. But uh, that, and he also was shut down a little bit, I think, against Tennessee, if I recall. I might be off base there. But um, he has still had a really good year and is over a $1,000 purpose. And from the film that I've seen, is definitely somebody to worry about. Yeah, I agree. He's definitely a threat that you have to account for. Same with Jace McClellan. So, you know, this this running back room is very solid. But the, the one room that, and it, it feels weird what we're about to say, the one room that I feel like actually may be one of the weakest on the team is the wide receiver room. Because we're so used to having people like, you know, 
Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddle, you know, those Devontae Smith. Devonta Smith. You know, having that elite speed, if even if they're a little slight, you know, having in terms of weight, we're used to Alabama receiving cores having that elite speed. And it seems like this is a a receiving <laughs> this is a receiving room that doesn't necessarily have that one alpha deep threat receiver. I mean, they they have people who can pretty consistently catch the ball. They're leading receiver being Jermaine Burton, who's recorded you know, 37 for 598. So he's not like he's averaging nothing. But they seem to be, you know, they don't have that guy who's going to run in the four twos, it seems like at least. Or at least they don't have people that seem like or play like they're going to run in the four twos. And, you know, it's it's interesting to see that change of pace. And it also could be, you know, this is basically a, a new receiving core from last year, losing Jamison Williams and all those other uh, – the other receiver I'm thinking about that you and I weren't necessarily high on is, like, their slot guy. Oh, um, gosh. Jamison uh, – not Jamison Williams. Uh, well, he's hurt, so I can't think of yeah, him. He was hurt when he came out. But that's neither here nor there. The receiving room, it's not a weakness. Do not misunderstand me. They – their receiving room is not weak. They're not a terrible receiving core. It's just not the Bama receiving core that we're used to. I honestly think that a comparable... I honestly think they probably aren't the best receiving core we've seen this year. That honor probably belongs to TCU. Or if you're looking at pure athleticism, Texas. But yeah, I think this is a receiving room that we can we can match up with. Yeah. Uh, which definitely feels weird to say, but I'm not really worried about our corners um, and to a certain degree our safeties, although I'd feel a lot better if we had Kobe Savage back there. Yeah. Um, but this receiver room is, like you said, they're still super athletic and still really, really good, but we have faced better receivers. Quentin Johnston is better than any receiver on this Alabama team, and Xavier Worthy is better than any receiver on this Alabama team. And even a guy like Xavier Hutchinson or Bryce Ford Wheaton, they would be among the best receivers on this team. So we've seen comparable receivable receiver talent on this uh, uh, on our schedule this year. So this isn't going to be anything that we haven't seen before that still does not make this room a weakness whatsoever because they are still really athletic and can burn you deep uh, because they are really good at scheming. And this is a really still really talented team. They saw Bryce Young throwing them the ball. So a window that may seem closed can be opened by Bryce Window. Bryce Window. Bryce, Bryce Young. Window. Bryce Young. And uh, they, they're they still, they're not going to bring this team down, I think is what I'm trying to get at here. They are still going to, they're not going to be that negative. They, they are not as dominant as they may have been in the past. But that does not make them a bad unit by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, yeah, they just—I think you put it well—they don't have that alpha dog. Um, and then also having that alpha dog really opened up younger guys to really have those blow-up moments every once in a while. Like in the past, there would be years where Devonte Smith was like wide receiver four and would have a few long touchdowns a season and would show those flashes. And this year, there's not really that guy on this team to allow uh, maybe these guys to get more production because they're all having to face 
a uh, higher level secondary guy uh, than maybe they would if there was like some major alpha dog on this team. But they they're still a good unit. But we this will be a we will win some and we'll lose some against this receiver room. Yeah. Then the tight end Cameron Latu, he's good. You know, twenty five through twenty three, consistent. Consistently good option, pretty solid blocker. Again, Bama tight end. It's tied for the fourth most snaps on the team. Actually has the most sole possession of the fourth most snaps on the team. Weirdly graded very well as a pass blocker, 70.6, 55.5 total PFF grade. I'm not sure if I put much stock in him being that low. He's probably, you know, above average 60s. Bama tight end. Yeah, underperforming relative to the rest of Bama's tight ends, but you have to consider who the rest of their tight ends have been. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of guys like O.J. Howard that just blew up in the college football playoff. And even if he hasn't had a fantastic NFL career, I still really liked O.J. Howard. Um, they've had plenty of fantastic tight ends run through Alabama. I still really like Cameron Latu, and I think he's a good threat. Um, but, yeah, he's definitely not their most dynamic tight end that they've ever had, but he's still good. He is a very, he's probably one of the more balanced tight ends that they've ever had, where he's just kind of a guy that does everything fairly well. And I, I will say I do agree that his PFF grade is too low. I think that he is better uh, than what his uh, passing game numbers suggest. He should probably be about a 70, I think, in that regard. And he's like a 57.4. I don't think that's a good grade for him at all. But I liked what I saw from him uh, in film, although he is not – the athletic weapon that some of the tight ends have been in the past. Uh, he's not able to take throws that are slightly inaccurate and adjust his route on the fly and turn it into a big game regardless. That's just not something that's in his game. He needs a well-thrown ball, but he will make the catch and he's reliable. Yeah. Next up is their offensive line, which it's interesting because they it's another group that has all the talent in the world. It's kind of like the the anti-Tulane problem that, you know, we we later learned that Tulane was a good team, but I always complimented their offensive line. We always did that because of their cohesive nature and how they played together. This Bama offensive line has all of the talent in the world and then some, but it just seems like every once in a while they don't, they, they just kind of aren't meshing that well together. I think that's kind of why people seem to be saying, oh, this offensive line for Alabama standards isn't good. It's fine for Alabama standards, but I don't think they're gelling quite as well as they would have in previous years. So, again, individual talent level, probably the best offensive line that we've seen all year. Cohesive level, it might be in the bottom half. It balances out to create, you know, Obviously, one of the top five lines we faced this year. Let's not kid ourselves. It's still Alabama. But it's not It's not the Berlin Wall we're going up against or anything. Especially with our defensive line. We, I, I still feel pretty good about Eli Huggins being a great nose tackle. Uso being a good guy to get him you know, some rest on the sideline, being a big dude. Nate Matlick as a finesse guy. Obviously, Felix, who has the potential to be a first-round pick if he goes out this year. Maybe, depending on who you talk to. Yeah, I, what do you think about the offensive line? Yeah, it's a, it's a good unit. Um, they don't stand out as much as they have in the past. 
Uh, but And then also it does hurt to lose uh, Javion Cohen. Uh, starting guard gone uh, after the whole year, which, I mean, they'll have somebody step up and still play pretty well. But it's a, it's a good unit. But, you know, it isn't the elite unit that we've seen from them in the past. But that, again, like the receiver room, just because it's not this elite unit that we're used to seeing, they're, they're still pretty solid. They're still a good unit. And it's still made up of four and five-star guys because that's every single position on this team. It's going to be made up of four and five star guys. Yeah. So, you know, you, but luckily our defensive line is a very talented group. So we can hopefully match up with them well and maybe get some pressure. Cause that is going to be the key is getting pressure, not to get too ahead of ourselves. Um, but this is a, this is going to be a very important part of this game is how we match up uh, with them on the offensive line. Uh, their offensive line to our defensive line. Yeah. Something that I, I think, uh, you know, obviously you never hope for injuries to come into play. You never hope for that. But if an Alabama lineman does get hurt, you have to wonder about their depth because of the amount of people that they've had transfer out. They're already going to be starting a, a second string guard due to that the, their starting guard transferring out. But you have to wonder, you know, if a tackle gets hurt, who do they have left? Because they had, what, four or five? offensive linemen transfer out. So you have to worry about if their depth is there and if it'll be ready. And obviously you don't make a habit of, you know, subbing offensive linemen out. You want them to kind of stay in there, work as work together as best as possible and as often as possible. But it, it'll be a question to watch if it comes into play. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm interested to see how we end up attacking that group. And also if um, this month um, that they've had since their last game has given them an opportunity to maybe work on some of that offensive line cohesion issues. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's it's been a while since both of these teams have last taken the field. So they may look slightly different than from when we last saw them. So that's another thing to keep in mind. We can only take so much from what we've seen because there, there has been time for adjustments. Yeah. So that is their offensive room. Now we can move on to the defensive side. And this is one of, I believe, four or five defenses that I can definitively say I know what coverage is they run, or at least I can definitively say that they're running match coverages. And specific, they have a ton of different match coverages, one of them being called Stubby. Yes, that's a real coverage call. Georgia runs it a lot as well. And match coverage, by its, its very nature, is basically, I guess the best way to describe it, even though this is technically not correct, and I, I suppose there are times that you can make an argument it's not correct at all, <laughs> it's it's zone coverage with man coverage principles. So like the most basic rule of match coverage is if someone crosses the inside of your face, he becomes your guy. If he crosses the outside of your face, you pass it off to someone else. It, it's basic rules like that. And sometimes you have a, a mega defender, which is man everywhere he goes. That's typically the backside defender. That's where you get your one-on-ones. But, yeah, this is a match coverage unit. And, you know, that makes sense because Nick Saban was one of the originators of the match coverage defense alongside Bill Belichick while he was in uh, Cleveland, I believe. No, 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 it was Belichick whenever he was at D.C., but that's neither – who cares? But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, 
match coverage. So sometimes you'll get ideal matchups if you're running things like trips. It was specifically made to counter the Buffalo Bills trips offense that they had for a while. But you'll get favorable matchups if you have, say, Ben Sennett on the inside and you get him matched up with a, a true linebacker. But that that's their coverage. <laughs> but everything else about their defense, let's just, let's just start with the defensive line. Again, defensive line full of five stars. And Stanley Talon said, Stanley Strong, I'm worried for the interior part of our, of our defense, of our offensive line. We got to talk about Will Anderson. <laughs> yeah, Will Anderson is likely going to be a top five NFL draft pick. He is definitely the best edge rusher in all of college football. Um, and that's going to be a really, really tough matchup. Uh, for uh, for Christian Duffy. Um, that's going to be the most difficult assignment that he has ever had in his college career. So he, I hope that he is preparing and is ready. I imagine we're going to be seeing a lot of uh, double teams bringing Panzer over. Alabama's going to be ready for that. Uh, so they'll be running stunts to try and uh, negate that and get one-on-ones. Um, but on the other hand, we're going to probably need to have DJ Giddens in there a lot on passing downs. Uh, just to compensate and to go chip Will Anderson because um, it's not a matchup Duffy's going to be able to win every single time on his own. In fact, I don't expect him to win even half the time against Will Anderson because Will Anderson's a top five pick and he's he's just that good. So it's it's going to be a difficult time. And that's also something Will Howard has to be aware of is that the pressure will be coming. And we're probably not going to be able to run a lot of long developing plays unless we are actively like triple teaming Will Anderson and moving the pocket away and there's no pressure coming. So there's not going to be a lot of situations where we can really draw up uh, long developing plays just because of the presence of Will Anderson. That's part of the disruption chaos that he brings is that he negates things that you would normally be able to do just by virtue of being there. So which is a fantastic quality and a high compliment to receive as a, uh, as a player. So uh, the, I, there's nothing that I'm saying that the team isn't already aware of. They know that Will Anderson is a, a tough task uh, to handle. Um, but the defensive line isn't just him. They're athletic everywhere. Uh, and they have plenty of really good edge rushers. Uh, Dallas Turner is a citizen edge rusher as well, and he's also really good. He's not Will Anderson, but he's still really good. And they have uh, plenty of other guys as well. Uh, but <laughs> Will Anderson is definitely the uh, the highlight, if nothing else, uh, this season. Uh, not quite as statistically great as last year, but he still had 10 sacks, so he still has double digits there. He had a pick six at one point because he does play Jack linebacker is what he's listed as. At least he was for the Texas game. Yeah. And uh, um, he does have a coverage grade. So he's play, he hasn't played a lot of coverage, but he's played 25 coverage snaps. Uh, so something to consider at the very least. Uh, and he's got 51 tackles on the year. So he's still had a really, really good year. Uh, for Good year for Will Anderson. Uh, but I don't know. What do you have to add with Will? He might very well – he has been, regardless of position, if you're not taking into account you know, quarterbacks or anything, if you're not taking positional value into account, he's – for the past two years, he's been the best player in college football. And I don't think it's 
you know, it, it's close between him, Caleb Williams, and Bryce Young. I I still think that Will Anderson clears. He is probably the best player in college football, and he comes out with that mentality every single time that he plays. So he's dangerous. He's very dangerous. Like you said, it's not just him. They also have some guys on the defensive interior that can do it. You know, Byron Young being the first and foremost example. He has three and a half sacks this year as a nose tackle. So, you know, getting getting that no, that amount of sacks as a nose is really impressive, especially in, in this defense that really does kind of prioritize having edge pressure. But, you know, it's it, – we, we keep going back to it's Bama because, again, it's Bama. And Bama has been D-line U – since you and I were like five years old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's just constantly huge guys that are larger than life and are as, as athletic as linebackers half the time. So it, it feels unfair, but that's just what we have to be ready for. And it's going to be a really tall task. Uh, guys like Cooper BB and KT, Stand a good shot. KT has definitely had moments where he hasn't been as good this year, but when he is playing at his best, he is athletic enough to hold his own, I think. And BB is BB, so I'm not really worried about him. But you do have the right side of the offensive line that has been probably the weaker side this year, albeit still a solid unit, all things considered. And all in all, this offensive line has been pretty good this year. But they... um, um they. They have a very they'll have their hands full with this Alabama offensive line, and there's going to be reps that you know we have a great play drawn up, and their defensive line is going to blow it up, or they're going to run a well-timed blitz, and we're just not going to have enough guys to account for everybody. And then there's going to be plenty of reps where we walk away feeling like we did really well, but we're we're going to have to find ways to try and scheme around what they're doing. We're going to be running the ball to the left a lot. I imagine we will not be spending much time running the ball to the right uh, unless we're pulling guys from the left. Yeah. So um, it's it, it'll be interesting to see the dynamic uh, between uh, the trenches when the, when the time comes because it could be all sorts of things. But yeah. It'll be interesting to watch that matchup. But next we talk about the linebackers, mostly led by Henry Toatoa. And, you know, it's this is kind of the, the group that's hardest to notice because they're consistently good. Like Toatoa is probably, you know, top 10 linebacker in the country, probably. Uh, you know, it, it's they're not easy to notice because <laughs> they consistently do their job. And it, it's better for them than other linebacking rooms where, you know, you notice them because they're bad. But, you know, they obviously have the athleticism. Haha, ha, they're Bama. Lazy take, I know, but it's true. They have the athleticism to cover guys. I'm still not sure they match up perfectly with, you know, people like Ben Sinnott. None of them match up with Deuce Vaughn because Isaiah Simmons maybe does, but he's in the NFL. And maybe some of Georgia's linebackers, but... Yeah, it, it, they're difficult to notice, but good, good unit. Yeah, yeah. Um, that a lot of times is what you want out of your linebacker unit when you have a defensive line as talented 
um, and as athletic as you have is a linebacker unit that does their job and cleans up and performs well, but isn't making notable mistakes or anything like that. Because if you're not noticing your linebackers uh, at times, that's all you want. Um, Because a lot of times when you notice the linebackers, it is because the run game is uh, gashing a defense in particular. So it's, it's sometimes better not to see them as well. Henry Toto, he is a uh, transfer in from Tennessee, I believe. So stays in conference. Um, I don't know the origins of their other linebackers. I imagine just recruits, but uh, they're, they're a solid unit, all things considered. Um, And of course, Will Anderson is kind of a hybrid. He's listed as a linebacker on ESPN. He's really an edge. So he, he he does a little bit of both, but he's primarily a line guy. But linebackers, I guess, get credit for him, even yeah. though I, I don't know if that's a fair uh, description for him. But Henry Toto, um, he's yeah, he's got almost ninety tackles on the year, two and a half sacks, um, but the epitome of consistent and good. And again, yeah, I, I hate sitting here and saying over and over again that. This position is really athletic for Alabama. These guys are really athletic and well-coached for Alabama. Well, it is unfortunately the truth that they are recruiting four- and five-star guys at every single position, and when somebody slips through the cracks, a la Jameer Gibbs, then they just go and get him a couple of years later after another uh, coaching staff develops him for them yeah. and then just put on the finishing touches. Uh, and uh, then they, they also, the flip side is that they do have some of those athletic guys transfer out when they aren't able to quite break through. But they um, this linebacker room is really good. I, I don't really have much else to add. I've been sitting here trying to think of more to say, but I don't think that there really is. They There's just a lot to like about this room if you're a Bama fan. And they're not this dominant unit, maybe, that's like notably dominant. But they do their job and that's really about all that is needed and they generally tackle well except for when they faced Bijan but that's forgivable that's, yeah. because there is not a running back like Bijan in the country other than Bijan so that that's not really a fair film evaluation of them for our purposes no next up is the defensive back room which I, I mentioned that they played match coverage earlier the you you may be saying, well, if if match coverage is has the strengths of zone and the strengths of man, is why why doesn't everybody run it? Well, it's because it requires a lot of brain power when as opposed to when you could just say, Okay, here's your man, match up with him. Here's your man, cover him wherever he goes. Here's your spot on the field, cover that. Match requires a lot of brain power. And I say this because it uniquely applies to the defensive backs. Because this is one of the first times that I'm not sure that everyone is understanding the match coverages as perfectly as we're used to seeing from Bama, especially since Saban was one of the originators of it. There have been a few times this year that they've dealt with blown coverages, where you know one player's just leaving another one out to dry, you know, especially during the Texas game, and a lot, and I mean a lot, during the Tennessee game. Granted, a lot of that was because Tennessee really uses every single millimeter of the field. But there there were times that they just didn't have the coverage disciplined for match coverage. And even when they did, 
the defensive back room was weirdly inconsistent. Like they they really had trouble with people like Jalen Hyatt and Xavier Worthy, even more so than you would have that than you would expect for them. Because obviously, you know, those are two of the best you know players in the country. But you still expect Alabama, you know, Alabama, the Crimson Tide, coached by Nick Saban, to be able to contain them. And they they weren't doing that as well. It seems like this this defensive backfield's weirdly not necessarily undisciplined, but not quite to the level of understanding match coverages as you, you would normally expect. That being said, again, physically, not a bad unit. You look at safeties, you have Jordan Battle, 79.2 PFF grade. DeMarco Hellams at safety, again, 73.4. Kool-Aid McKinstry, 81. Brian Branch, 85. And then Terry and Arnold, a 73.1. You know, those are good grades. But that doesn't mean that they're not susceptible to the big play because of blown coverages. Yeah, which is pretty unusual, like you said, for um, a Bama defense. Uh, But, yeah, this defensive backfield is just not as good, I think, as we're used to seeing. And which is really interesting to keep saying. But, you know, I, I do think it's true. And, of course, this Bama team was still really close to making the college football playoff, but I don't think this was a national championship team. And I I think that Georgia was better than them. Ohio State was better. Uh, and then Michigan and TCU probably put up good fights. And uh, this Bama team is still good, but this defensive backfield is there, – there are holes. There are uh, cracks in the armor uh, for them. I don't know if we will be able to expose them the way the Tennessee did because we do not have a Jalen Hyatt on our team that will get like four or five touchdowns or whatever uh, that he had in that game. But we should still be able to methodically get the ball downfield and pick them apart because Colin Klein has shown that he is willing to use creative route concepts and get guys wide open at times. Uh, A guy like... Ben Sinnott, he was a literal shoestring tackle away from a breakaway touchdown against a pretty good TCU secondary in the Big 12 title. Um, We, on multiple occasions, have um, schemed open uh, guys in that game as well. Uh, And Will Howard also delivered some really good balls as well, Um, like the one to Malik Knowles uh, early in the game. That was a 40-yard dot. Uh, And he... um, did a really good job. So this is a defensive backfield that we could pass the ball against, maybe not to some elite degree like we did against Oklahoma State or anything like that. But I, Colin Klein with a month to prepare, uh, hopefully we'll give him some time to come up with some um, interesting route uh, combinations. Uh, going, I don't like to talk about the Texas game, but I do still think about on occasion uh, the – like double clear out for deuce that we had for like the first touchdown. Cause we had a, re- we had a receiver clear out and then Ben Sennett ran around in front of him, basically just become a lead blocker. Yeah. And I, I loved that uh, route combination and call uh, by Colin Klein there. So I, I, I'm not sure what we, we run like, specifically against this team. Um, but I'd imagine what we're going to be doing is trying to find things to run similar looks and then confuse them with, uh, different route combinations over the course of the game, which is something Colin Klein has wanted to do a lot of the year, is have uh, 
pretty much the same personnel in for most of the game, save for a handful of substitutions. Like the same probably 14 to 15 guys are pretty much constantly seeing the field. Yeah. And so that way we can constantly run different formations and we're in the, and we're preparing for the play, getting the call. And you don't know if we're going to be in two tight ends or a guy like Benson. It's a great example. He could line up as H, he could line up as a Y tight end, or he could be in the slot. And you don't know that or until fullback. He, yeah, or a fullback. And you don't know until he's lining up uh, and the play is about to get started. Um, and I think that's something that Colin Klein likes to do. And doing that can only create more communication issues uh, on the back end. Uh, so that's something that I hope that we'll try to take advantage of. Um, again, they'll probably try and trick us offensively. Um, so we should probably stay away from things like under center play action and stuff like that. Um, but uh, yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Cause do that. I recently watched a video about the, uh, Indianapolis Colts and how they have the best defense against under center play action in the NFL. And it's because anytime that they go under center, they like roll their coverage. And so when the quarterback takes the snap, they're seeing a, def- a different defense by the time they're, uh, um, dropping back Look up, yeah. to catch the ball. And it's something that just makes so much sense, but it's just not something that you naturally think about. And hello, Maple. And we, uh, so I, there's definitely a way around uh, this defensive backfield, but they are a good match. And I'm not here to say that we're superior to them in any way. I, I mean, athletically, they're going to be our better in, in this matchup, but we do have a lot of time to prepare. So we definitely stand a chance against this defensive backfield yeah so that's pretty much all of their their positions and now we can just basically go into the the stories to watch going into this game and you know there there are a lot of them to to look into while you're going into this game you know we went over the the transfers out earlier but we alluded to this one earlier first and foremost is we have it written down as Christian Duffy versus Will Anderson 2022. Like, it's a court case. Yes. <laughs> but it's really because Will Anderson can occasionally line up left side. I don't think they do ask him to do that much, but he can do it. It's basically, does the line hold up against Will Anderson? Or how well do they not collapse? That's a fantastic question. I, I'm not super optimistic right now. Um, I've been proven wrong before by Connor Riley, but this is going to be the ultimate test. I, you cannot ask for a better matchup, I think, um, for the, for the offense. And when I say better, I don't mean like favorable. I mean, better as in quality of opponent. I mean, Will Anderson is, he, this is the pinnacle of edge rushers in college football. So this this could be one for the ages for the offensive line. It could be one to forget for the ages for the offensive line. And I'm not trending towards it being either of those, but I definitely think Will Anderson's probably coming out on top on this one. And I hate to say it because I, I do really like Christian Duffy, but this is, a, this is a really tall task for any offensive lineman in the country. And... Even Cooper Beebe is somebody that I think is not going to win every rep against Will Anderson. So it's it's just a, it's a tall task. And I'm hopeful. 
and I'm optimistic, but very cautiously. And what we really need to do is find ways to make him a non-factor, which the best way to do that is to basically see where he is and just go away from him. Yep. (laughs) There's no other way to really do that. Uh, It'd be helpful if we had a left-handed quarterback. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. But uh, that, uh, fortunately, I, I think Will Howard's great. I think Adrian Martinez is great. I don't think either of them can be taught to be ambidextrous in the next uh, handful of weeks. So no, we're not going to get in the, the two and Finalolo treatment. I would certainly hope we don't. <laughs> if you're curious, look it up. Just look up why is two a left-handed. But or don't or don't. You know, <laughs> if, if you, you value your, if you value your sanity, then don't do that. But yeah. if you if you are curious, uh, go for it. I guess. But it's a say uh gonna be a difficult matchup for uh, christian duffy and in company i suppose against will anderson christian duffy with a a dash of dj giddens and hadley panzer yeah copy and paste everything that you said that's my answer as well the next question is we know that everyone there aren't any opt-outs for alabama but even without opt-outs you have to ask the question of how motivated are they or at least, you know, some people will ask the question of how motivated are they? Because they aren't playing in the college football playoff. You know, they're not playing for a national title. And the expectation, if you go to Alabama, is you're playing for the national title. That being said, even though we pose this question, I am 100% of the belief that Alabama is going to show up for this game. I don't think that there's one that they're going to write off, if mostly because I don't it's not that I don't believe that Bama could just write off a game if they didn't want, like they didn't want to play in it. It's the fact that they didn't have any opt outs. That tells me that they're motivated to play in the game. I would, if I'm Bama, I'm honestly more worried about uh, guys that weren't opt out risks in their motivation, as opposed to guys that were opt out risks because the guys that could have opted out and stayed, they're clearly motivated. Guys like Bryce Young and Will Anderson. Maybe at some point, scouts said it would look better if you played a game. Yeah. That's a possibility. Maybe they just wanted to play. But I would, if I'm Bama, I'm more worried about the guys that maybe are like younger contributors, maybe even younger starters that weren't at risk to opt out for the draft, uh, and maybe their motivation because they aren't going to be leaders on the team. They're not as mature as the older guys. So I'm maybe more worried about that. Then again, they're not as big of players in the grand scheme of things for this Alabama team. So I don't really know what to expect. I think I do tend towards your side where I don't think they're going to be unmotivated. I think they'll be motivated to play well and win this game. Um, But you never know what Bama you're going to get in a game that for them doesn't mean a lot. Uh, so it's, I, I, I struggle to sit here and make a prediction, uh, on either, but I will lean towards them being motivated, but the opt outs, I'm not too concerned about them being motivated. Yeah. Next question. Can Colin Klein call a good game against a technically and schematically great defense? Given what we saw him against Baylor, and I know Baylor's like completely different set of match rules, but you know it's not like Colin Klein's never seen match coverage before. He has because that's what Baylor runs. 
and he did pretty well against Baylor because he knew how to exploit it. I think that's honestly, if K-State is going to win, it's going to be on the back of Colin Klein calling the game of his life. He's going to have to do exactly what he did against Baylor, and he's going to have to do it a little bit better and a little bit faster. And I think that's going to be... I think he calls a good game, and if he calls one... The problem is is that if he calls one just equal to Baylor, I'm not sure we win. If he calls one a little bit better than Baylor, we probably edge it out. You could say we need him to be calling some good plays. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess you could say that. Normally, I'm the pun guy. Well, I, I think I've used that one before. No, you have, and I just never expect it. Yeah, I I don't think I've used it on the show, but I know I said it to you at some point. You've said it multiple and, times, and, and you and you audibly games. groaned because it's a groan-worthy pun. But no, I, I appreciate it. It took me all of 15 seconds to think of like two months ago. <laughs> Colin Klein, I. I think the key word there is a good game. And I think that he's totally capable of calling a good game against this defense. And I, I'm not really sure what to expect because it does depend on our ability to diagnose the differences in their match three. Now, I'm trying not to be a homer here and try to be realistic because it is, we've said it again and again, it is Bama. So it's it's tough to sit here and say, oh yeah, we're going to execute really well against these guys because it's it's not easy to do so. And they were the first team out of the playoff. And I think I, I think that we can call a solid game because we've seen Colin Klein when Will Howard is the QB especially, but even when Adrian's been the QB too, we have seen... Uh, we've we've really seen some fantastic games from Colin Klein uh, as OC. He's grown so much since the first handful of games, and I do think he can call a good game against this Alabama squad. Now, I do think it's possible for him to call a good game and have it not be executed well. Like he can call plenty of good plays, and if guys are just dropping the ball or Bamish is making better defensive plays, it may not matter. So I think that's maybe the key when evaluating if Colin Klein can call a good game. Yeah. Because Bama may just have a better answer. But I do think he'll have some stuff drawn up to make this offense work at least sometimes. Yeah. Kind of a, a secondary question to that is, does he or how does he get deuce the ball? Now, that's a great question because, of course, Deuce will be a focal point uh, for this Bama defense. I I think the best way to do it is to spread the ball around already, which seems counterintuitive, but we can't just sit there and feed Deuce. Like, like we can't just spam the same play over and over like it's Madden. Like we're, we're, yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna have to do a little bit more than than that in this game. So I think that, yeah, it's gonna be we're gonna have to get the ball to Malik Knowles. We're gonna have to get the ball to Ben Sennett. We're gonna have to get the ball to DJ Giddens, Philip Brooks, Cade Warner, Sammy Wheeler, RJ Garcia. All those guys are gonna have to be able to get the ball as well 
as Deuce Vaughn because if Deuce is the only guy on offense that's working, then he is not going to be seen. He is going to get absolutely deleted off the field. But schematically, then you may want to see maybe some uh, um, swing screens, uh, maybe split them out wide and try and get them in the slot some. Uh, I would love to see some Deuce Vaughn tunnel screens at some point. Um, there's all sorts of creative ways to use them, but traditional zone running could be situationally effective, but it's not something that we're going to be able to do. Like we're not going to be able to run the ball down Alabama's throats. No, that's, that's just not an option. I don't think like we, we can certainly try to do that. I don't think it would go very well. Yeah. But that's the sort of thing that I hope we're not going to be contingent on. I don't think we will be. I'd imagine we try and see some stretch plays and some sweeps uh, for Deuce Vaughn. I think we really want to get him the ball outside. Those, have, of course, been feast or famine all year long yeah. for, for K-State, so we'll see how effective that is. Uh, I'd love to see us run some counter um, in this game as well, try and get Alabama to over-pursue, because uh, this is one of the more undisciplined Alabama teams that we've seen in a while. So try and bait them into over-pursuing, kind of beat them at our own game uh, where uh, all year we've been over pursuing defensively. So maybe try and give them a taste of uh, their own medicine in that regard. But I don't know. What do you think about going to use the ball? I think that we're probably going to, I really think that if we're going to win this game, ironically enough, we're going to be doing it through the air. I, I'm not sure that running the ball will be entirely effective on this day, just because of how talented the, Alabama defenses. That being said, I think the number one way to get Deuce Vaughn the ball is to get him in situations where you instantly know what he's matched up against. So flexing him out wide or putting him in that third position, that most innermost receiver in a trip set, that way you can guarantee that he's probably going to end up getting a linebacker on him and just taking care of that. I think the number one way that we're going to try and get Deuce the ball is through the air, maybe taking advantage of empty sets, maybe taking advantage of him on, you know, angle routes, short outs. Maybe we even use him a little bit like uh, Alvin Kamara whenever Drew Brees was running that offense, where it's going to be a lot of option routes, a lot of, okay, check, check, downfield's covered. I'll check it to Deuce, let him get six or seven yards because he's that agile. But that's how I would do it. I'm not paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> so that's probably a very simple solution. We could always just go do Vaughn Wildcat in this game. I'm leaving. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, let's not do that again. Yeah, I, I. if we were going, this would probably be the last defense I'd want to run Deuce Vaughn Wildcat against. As opposed to any other defense, which I don't want to run that against any defense. This has got to be about the last one, right? Yeah, I... Okay. That... <laughs> we are watching East Carolina versus Coastal Carolina right now, and we weird things are happening. I think somebody's towel got stolen. Yeah, I think the court... I think the defensive end thought that he got his towel stolen, then reached around the quarterback and ripped his towel off his front. I don't know, but weird, very weird. Next question: Who wins in the trenches? Probably Bama. I think their defensive line beats our offensive line 
I think it's optimistically a stalemate on the other side, I think is probably the best way to look at it. But I do think I still give a slight edge to the Alabama offensive line, but not a dominant one. Yeah. Can K-State's second level keep up with the athleticism of Alabama? I actually think this is one that we can. We can keep up with the athleticism, both with our receivers and our defensive backs, because they don't have that alpha receiver. And while their defensive back room is good, they've been they've been taken advantage of by people like Jalen Hyatt, Xavier Worthy, those taller receivers. And Leak is apparently going to be good to go for the game. So that's huge. You very well could see Malik Knowles have a good game, a big game. Yeah, we need Malik to make some uh, some clutch plays in this game. That's just, that's just not optional. Like like he needs to have a handful of big catches and maybe even a few runs in key situations. I'd love a kick return touchdown in that this game. Sick. I I would be very pleased if Malik was to do that. That would the that the greatest late Christmas present that I can possibly think of. So if you're listening, Malik, please, I'm begging. But I I am concerned about our ability to keep up with their athleticism. Now, if this was not a Kleiman team, because Kleiman has put in place an emphasis on getting athletes in positions to succeed, uh, as opposed to like gamers and like uh, guys that you can just coach up and um, get them in the right spot through scheming, we've got athletes here that probably stand a halfway decent shot, but at the end of the day, you know, these are still five-star, four-star guys. And I do think that we're going to get our own against them, but it's tough to sit here and say that we're going to be able to, you know, match them. But the, the question is, can we keep up with the athleticism? And I think that is a realistic level, which is keeping up and being in the neighborhood, but obviously not exceeding. Yeah, I agree. Now we can talk about projective offensive and defensive MVPs. Do you want to start with your pick for offense or defense? Um, I'll start with offense. Um, So offensively, I'm going with my man, Will Howard, Wilhelm Howitzer III. That guy, he has been... The he's been an alley cat favorite for the whole existence of the show. Even before, even before, even before uh, the existence of the show, he was one of our favorites. Uh, he is key, I think, because we. I'm not optimistic about the running game. Uh, it's going to rely on really just lucky explosive plays, I think, in the run game. But we're going to need a consistent pass game, and I think that's a possibility. So. I, oh, that's all going to hinge on Will. And Malik is a close second here, maybe Deuce, but we're going to need big contributions from all of our pass catchers. There, at some point in this game, there's going to be several guys that are going to have to make big catches that are maybe beyond what they're normally capable of. And Will's going to have to be able to put them in a place to succeed, and he's going to have to be able to play to the level that he's been able to play uh, throughout this whole season. Because he's been really good all year. 
and he has to be able to maintain that. It's just absolutely vital for our success in this game. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it the pick is for going to be Will for me as well. I I really do think that Will, if there's one thing that he's been able to do very well this year, it's find matchups. And against match coverage, that's kind of what you have to do. That's why he was so effective up against Baylor. So I think that he's going to be able to identify matchups that may be considered slightly favorable. And then he's going to just, you know, take the shot. And if he's hitting on 50% of those shots, we're in this game, and we may very well be winning it. But if we are to win this game, it has to be off of the back of Will in the passing game. On the defensive side of the ball, both of our picks notably are linebackers. I'm going to go with the Will linebacker, which is going to be Austin Moore. And the main reason why is something I can't really explain. It was just kind of a gut feeling. You asked me before we started recording. And the first name that came to my mind was Austin Moore. And I think a lot of that could be the fact that Daniel Green's very aggressive in playing run defense, and Austin Moore tends to be a little bit more patient. And Jameer Gibbs is a very patient runner. So maybe trying to match patience with patience and have Austin Moore meet him in the gap and wait for reinforcements. That's the best justification that I can come up with. But, you know, just my gut, my gut feeling is Austin Moore. I am going with Deuce Green on the defensive side. Daniel Green, I we absolutely do need a linebacker to step up, so Austin Moore is a great pick. I went with Daniel Green, though, because I think he stands the best shot one-on-one against Jameer Gibbs uh, and bringing him to the ground. And we're also going to need him to help put pressure on Bryce Young in passing situations. So Daniel Green is going to come up huge in multiple departments. And we need him to step up and make big plays and be the alpha dog Mike linebacker that we're used to seeing. And this is going to be the biggest game of his career. A lot of NFL scouts are going to be watching this. I imagine he's probably going to head to the NFL. This could be a statement game for him. So I I have high hopes for Daniel Green in this game. Yeah. So now... Here comes the score projections, how we think this game is going to go. And this is, I believe this is, what, the second or third time in the show's history that both of us are projecting a loss? I think so, yeah. It has not happened very often. Yeah, because I think the last time we did it was up against Oklahoma (laughs) this year. I think so. I I think you're right, yeah. And uh, we... (laughs) And we were wrong. That worked out, but... I, I'm projecting 31-24 Bama. I really, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I don't think Kleiman, in a normal year, is going to have many teams that he gets blown out by. I really do think that this is a closer matchup than a lot of people outside of K-State circles think. That being said, I'm just not entirely sure that K-State is quite there in terms of athleticism to match Alabama. It would be absolutely awesome, and I would absolutely accept it if we did, but I can't really, in good faith, give an honest projection for K-State winning the game. I can see a universe where they do, and I, do, I, I don't think it's like a, a 90-10. I don't even think it's like an 80-20. I think it's like 60-40. I'm just aiming with the side of the 60. 
Yeah, I think Bama's winning this one too. Uh, pains me to say, but I'm trying to be realistic. So I've got Bama 35, K-State 27. Uh, so K-State will, in my result, just just not quite cover. I think the line like six and a half. So yours, half. yours is going to be a bad beat. And <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I do think K-State plays Bama really well in this game. But at the end of the day, I think this is a game that I think a K-State team two years from now, this this would have a really good shot at K-State winning. I still think that they do. I wouldn't quite say 60-40 in my book. I think this is like a 70-30 game, which is that's pretty close anyways. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty much splitting hairs at that point. But um, I, I, I think K-State plays this game well. Uh, I think we learn a lot about K-State from this game. And at the end of the day, I think Bama is going to be motivated and play this game and really care. And I, I don't think that this is going to just be, you know, Bama trotting out there as like a formality or anything. So I'm hopeful. I really, really want K-State to win this game. But at the end of the day, I just think Bama is going to be too much. Yeah. So you have any, you have any final notes about this game? I'm hopeful everybody that was hurt in the Big 12 championship game is able to play, which I think is Malik Uso Echo, as I remember. Malik Uso Echo, yeah. Yeah, I'm hopeful that they can all play. Um, Allegedly, they were all uh, practicing. I think they all had pictures of them posted by the uh, football team account. Yeah. And uh, Echo's brother, I know, around the time of the baseball title game was saying he could play. So I, I really want it to be our best available realistically versus their best available realistically just to get a sense of where this team is at. Because we accomplished the big goal of this season, which was to win a Big 12 title. And this is a cherry on top. And I will be very sad for a while, disappointed if we lose, but it won't be like the heart. It wouldn't be like heartbreaking like it had been if we had lost the Big 12 title, but I still want to win this game. And I still really want us to come out on top so that way we can stick it to the SEC. But I am not going at the expectation that we win because I do think Alabama is just a fantastic team with fantastic coaching. Not to say that we aren't, but, you know, at the end of the day, Alabama is just way further along as a program than we are. You know, they're established. They've been there for a long time. We – we're on the up and up. We are on the up and up, yeah. Recruiting is up. Team is up. Got a lot of guys coming back. But at the end of the day, I just this is probably not the year that we're quite ready to beat a team like Alabama. But in the future, that could be something that we could really realistically consider. But And you know what? We still have a realistic shot this year. Not a great one, but... It's a shot that is a lot better than it's been any time in the last decade. It's a better shot than we had against Oklahoma twice in a row. Probably true, honestly, yeah. That, that's a fair – we have a better chance of winning this game than we had beating OU in 2019 or 2020. So there is that to consider, you know, if you want to look at this on a positive note, which I'm, I'm, I'm willing to consider any angle in that regard. But I'm very excited to watch this game regardless. 
because we we're in the middle. We're on one of the best days of college football, I think, that you can get because we're the lead in to the uh, uh, yeah we're, we're the lead in to the playoff games. It's a New Year's Six game. You know, it's a this is a huge huge bowl game uh, for K State, and bowl games do matter one way or another. So at, at the end of the day, it counts on your record. It goes into the, the history books. So and you get a trophy at the end. So it's a big game. Yeah, it, it's a big game, and I really think that, you know, Kleiman has had an ability to motivate his players for the big games, and I don't think that this game will be any exception. And, you know, I, I think it'll be very, very, it'll be a very, very exciting game. I don't think it'll be a blowout either way. And I think even, even if it is just a one score, you know, I'm not a big believer in moral victories, but... It shows that we're getting there. It shows that we are a national brand. We're nationally relevant as a football program. Even as Big 12 champions, sometimes you still have to prove that. And it would show that after OU and Texas leave, we're the most, excuse me, most obvious pick to be the class of the new Big 12. That's I think a, that's very important. That's a good way to look at it. Because uh, that that is going to be something to consider in the next few years is that the Big 12 is going to be up for grabs uh, with OU and Texas leaving because uh, they've been the media darlings of the Big 12 for a while. And OU is dominated on the football side. Texas has dominated a lot of the non-revenues. So Casey has a chance to really come for the crown on the football side of things if they can make some consistency out of this. Yep. So that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville A Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C and Cats. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdwards00. I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as Play Sandstorm Cowards, Neon Alley Cats, and the staff-approved Doomtang Clan. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.